0: family's important to me, I'm important to myself, but then what am I doing to demonstrate that? Some of the biggest changes I've made in the past 12 months were about self, taking better care of self. So I could be better at work, better with family. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, Jr. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Jr. Flatter here with my co-host, Lucas. How you doing, Lucas? Pretty good. End of year, beginning of a new year, always a time for reflection and Hopefully, everybody's spending time with family and catching up on some sleep, doing some thinking about the future. So that's what this episode is going to be all about, is not necessarily talking about New Year's resolutions, but it is a time to sit and think about the year that we just finished and the year that's ahead, and hopefully decades that are ahead, because you and I like to think and take action decades into the future, but also interested in today tomorrow, the year ahead. So we talk about, you know, the house of leadership a lot in our coach training, in our coaching relevant every day of the year. But I think this time of year, it's a good time to take a look at the four pillars of that house, just to set our baseline again and the foundation that it's standing on. I know every cohort we teach, we teach this house, every learn, see, give that we teach, We learn about coaching, see coaching, and then give each other coaching. We talk about the house. So it'll be a nice review of the four pillars and the foundation of courage, but also time to ask ourselves, you and I, as coaches and leaders and husbands and parents, what are our four pillars and are we living them? But also for our coaching year ahead and our teaching year ahead, what are the four pillars of our coaching and teaching
1: it's hard to even imagine like multiple decades out i mean personally but at the same time you know even though it's hard to imagine i know that you know investing money is like a long-term prospect or people that get mortgages for 30 years you know it's like i know that I can make a tiny bit of effort today that will snowball into something in the future. So even if it's kind of nebulous and you know not fully formed, I know that it's still a payoff that I believe that's going to happen. You know. Well, let me just
0: ask you a couple of questions that'll bring this screaming home for you. How old was I when you were born?
1: Uh, Twenty nine. Point eight. And, and how old
0: are 30. you in two weeks? Yeah, yeah, you're older than I was when you were born. <laughs> now, let me ask you another question that will scream home. Do you remember at the top of uh, Diamond Head? I know when you, were, you do. <laughs> when you were mocking me about being 30 years younger than I was?
1: Uh, no comment. <laughs> well
0: you're almost the same age I was when you and I were at the top of diamond head. So it's common when you sit in your 32 year old self and think decades into the future. And it's hard to imagine, start asking yourself questions like that. You know, like your son's celebrating how many years?
1: He's going to be five next yeah.
0: year. I mean, that's, half a decade right there and it seems like yesterday probably your good friend Wilson just had a baby in, you know five years he's going to be like what the heck happened duckling will be ten yeah it flies by fast so part of the reason that we have the coaching relationships and one of those main themes of coaching is being more purposeful about thinking decades into the future because it It does happen fast. I I have an annual visit with my cardiologist just because of my age and my health history. And part of that annual visit is a treadmill test. And every year, and I've been going for probably 10 years, every year the technician doing the treadmill test says, you're in good shape for a man of your age. So you're going to start hearing things like that. Um, I remember sitting on the floor. Uh, I was in one of my last courses of my PhD. journey. at the George Washington University. this beautiful young girl walks up to me, and I'm like, "Yeah, she's still interested because she's leaning down to talk to me, and she says, "Sir." could you tell me what time it is? <laughs> you know, she had no interest in me as a human being. She just wanted to know what time it was. And I think that was the first time I really thought, and I was 30-something, right? And I really thought, man, the clock is ticking. But just like you and I talked about in our previous session, there's no perfect time to start thinking about the future. It's never too late to start thinking about the future, and it's never too early. I make the joke every time that I teach a young cohort that I'm going to make them angry because they're going to think about 50 something year old self for the first time ever. Because I'm going to ask 20 something people, close your eyes and tell me where you are in 30 years, which is a good exercise right now. As we begin the next year, close your eyes and ask yourself, where are you 30 years from today and what does that picture look like? Who's with you? Where is Declan and what is he doing? Are you retired? If you're still working, is it because you want to work or because you have to work? Have you done the things in your life that you had hoped you were going to do? And, you know, 30 years from now, it's going to be too late to change anything to make those things real. And so now is the time to start taking action that when you do close your eyes and have this vision of what perfection looks like 30 years from now, given all of the control you do have, we can't control a lot of things, but in a lot of things we can control, you know, what Declan grows up to be, where your life is, who's there with you. You can do things today, tomorrow, this year coming, the next five years coming, the next decade coming to very strongly influence that outcome not to be too macabre, but we're finding out in medical sciences that living a long life, in many ways, is just a matter of luck. The genes you were given at your birth, the lifestyle you choose certainly has a lot to do with that, but when you look at statistical significance of who gets catastrophic illnesses, oftentimes they've done nothing. They just were struck in with. So you know, being there 30 years in the future... You have a lot of control, but a lot is out of your control. But the people you love are going to be there. And what have you done to ensure that they're as close to that vision? You know, I'm at a point in my life where I do the math, and 30-something gets me into the 90-somethings. And you and I work out together every morning. And part of the reason is I want to be 90-something. I want to be there to see Declan get married and to... continue sharing this journey with you and others. But I also know a lot of that's out of my control, but a lot of it's in my control. A lot of it's in our mutual control.
1: Yeah. I think, and this is just like a segue, but like the best way to see, you know, what is actually, you know, what can I change? What is in my control? What's in, you know, the palm of my hand that I can really have a grasp over like, Let's look at the last year, you know, look back at some, you know, look back at the last year, the last week, the last month, and what we do in software development, what went well, what didn't go well, what do we have to keep doing, what do we have to quit doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can look at the last 12 months, and even at 61 years of age this year, I had monumental discoveries, all year long, personally and professionally. And I expect that that will continue as long as I continue having the courage to learn something new every day and be willing to say, I could have done that better. Tomorrow I can can do that better. Yeah, it's never too late, never too early. So courage, courage is the foundation of our four pillars and not battlefield courage, similar but different more of an in, internal courage i mean i don't know if if you're the same as me but i don't know what time you get out of bed to, to meet me at the gym in the morning but every morning the alarm clock goes off and my, my mind looks for an excuse to call you and tell you i can't make it <laughs> and, and i say to myself and this is why it's so great to have a significant other in your life on this journey is the reason I roll out is because I have promised you I'm going to be there and I promised myself I'm going to be there. And so I, that split second where my, I'm under the warm blanket and the alarm goes off and I kind of chuckle, like maybe today's the day I'm going to say, no, I don't think that ever goes away. You always have to go back to that place of courage and say, do I have the courage to do the things that I said I'm going to do? And when we talk about the four pillars of our house of leadership, they all come back to that same thing. Do I have the courage to live the principled life that I say I'm going to live? Do I have the courage to live the career that I say I'm going to make and be the leader that I say I'm going to be? Do I have the courage to have work-family self-balance? Do I have the courage to live the vision that I've told myself and you and thousands of others? All of those come back to courage. Do you find yourself asking those same questions or revisiting your courage i know you've had a lot of learning this year
1: yeah i think um you know the the courage is also like against like the status quo like the 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 way that you perceive things to be like this is set in stone like this is the way things are you know, it seems like it has so much inertia that like, what could I possibly do to, you know, almost like everything's predetermined and what am I going to do to change any of that? I definitely feel like that sometimes. And, and I think like the only thing that makes me feel better about that is now I have more examples of success that I can point to and say, oh, that it worked that time or it worked last time or, you know. Or, you know, you you have that feeling of like, this is never going to work out, you know, but then you remember that that's how you felt right before, you know, right before something.
0: We make the joke that in the gym, the two and a half pound weights are our best friends. But putting two and a half pounds on and being able to do the reps that you couldn't do a month ago, there's evidence right there. I'm stronger today than I was a month ago. Maybe only two and a half pounds, but I'm stronger. And you've reminded me about journaling. One of the greatest strengths of a journal, even if you just write a sentence today, that says on this day in December in 2023, and what you were thinking about whatever topic came to mind, your coaching, your parenting, your computer science, world And then you look at it a year from now and say how different you are. Even in our coach training, our coaching education, the decks today versus the decks on January 1st are significantly stronger than they were a year ago. I keep historical decks and I just put them side by side sometimes and see right in front of me how our education power continues to grow, the strength of our education, tools, lessons, case studies. Yeah. And you wouldn't know that unless you had, like you said, that evidence right there in front of you. And you said something that's really, really important. And that is the ability you have to influence change and how much of that resides just within yourself. It's there if you have the courage to go do it.
1: Yeah, it's like even um, something silly, like if uh, I'll just give my example is um, when I'm trying to learn uh, to play a song on the guitar, but I want to like sing also and how difficult that is sometimes. But then I think like if I put down the guitar, I can sing it. And if I, you know, stop singing, I can play it. And so I know, you know, there's no, there's no ability gap. I can do both of the things. It's just, you know, a coordination thing. So, yeah, like almost sometimes you're trying to do something that you already have evidence that you can do and it still seems impossible.
0: Yeah. So the first pillar is principles. And are you living a principled life? And what evidence do you have from the year that we're leaving to support that? It's probably no uh, surprise to anyone who listens to us that I was a Marine or am a Marine, was and I could do for 22 years. And there was a poster. I forget what part of my career I first saw this poster. But it's a Marine drill instructor pointing a finger at you and saying, if you were accused of being a Marine, what evidence would we have to convict you? For me, that speaks to principles, If I were to to tell you on January 1st, here's who I am and what I stand for, and now here we are well into December, what evidence do I have to support that? And so not only the the communication of our principles, but the demonstration of our principles, all these pillars, the communication, and then the demonstration is imperative. And we don't lay down principles to judge or compare. One of the most liberating things you can do as an adult human being is to live your own life, hold your own principles, and communicate them unapologetically, demonstrate them unapologetically. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage not to judge others. And one of the things you and I teach every day is Coach to the house of leadership of the leader you're coaching, not to your own house of leadership. And you're going to coach and lead a lot of people that you disagree with on a lot of things. Brittany and I were just talking about that. Our CEO, your sister, that this person that we work with is brilliant at their job, but very eccentric. And do you have the courage to accept the eccentricities? to receive the brilliance. And almost every human being has eccentricities that come along with their excellence. And do we have the courage as coaches and leaders within our principled life to accept them? When you're talking about existential principles, it should be a relatively short list of things that you have absolute in your life, family, education, work, those are certainly on my short list for better or worse. uh, And the people that we educate all year long, the people we coach all year long have very different sets, principles, very different ideas of work, family and self. And do we have the courage to lead them and let them live their own life? What do you think about when you think about your own principles and, and how you coach and lead?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess just that idea of everybody, you know, coming from a different place, like, yeah, you're, you're going to have to communicate with all sorts of different people. And, you know, especially when you're talking about coaching somebody, you're almost, um, like teaching them through communication. So you have to come with that understanding that, even if they have the same exact principles as you and, you know, you have the same beliefs, maybe they're just having an off day or, you know, they're starting to doubt themselves on a particular day or they just don't feel right. So just thinking about like, Oh, this person might be similar to me or they might be different, but um, you know, we need to get through it (laughs) either way, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to point out if we're going to work together or even live together, there are some things we have to agree on. The list should be short. It should be existential to our relationship. And beyond that, you get yours and I get mine. I think part of the challenges we're having working through this period of history is we're unwilling to say there are boundaries and, and there are rights and wrongs and maybe confusing existential with annoyance right i think the list of existential principles should be very short and it should be a matter of life and death life and death of the organization life and death literally beyond that it's probably just annoying you and do you have the courage to accept the eccentricity to receive the brilliance so if you find yourself annoyed all the time you should probably take a hard look at your principles and say, is it me or is it the world? And it's probably you as a human being treating something as, as existential when it's just an annoyance. Uh,
1: yeah. And I, I think sometimes, yeah, well, you might think it's a principle, but it doesn't stand the test of time because, you know, maybe you change your perspective, like, Oh, that, You know, I used to be annoyed all the time, but then I realized it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, uh, next pillar.
0: And this is one that we've made up, but I think it's just so relevant to life and and the human experience work. And it's the technical, cognitive and emotional alignment. This is one that I personally visit a lot about as, as a scholar, as a, as an educator, as a coach is it as relevant as I keep telling myself? And I continue to answer that in the affirmative. It is relevant. It is a pillar of a house of leadership. It's a pillar of my own. It's a pillar of those we teach. Because deciding who you want to be and how you want to demonstrate that in your performance at work, at your church, on your soccer team, are you a technician focused on the technical aspects of that role, you're a cognitive thinker, an analyst, and/or are you an emotionally intelligent leader? And at any given time, in any given task, the T, the C, or the E is the most relevant. Certain phases of your life, the T, the C, the E, become more relevant. When you're trying to get a master's degree, as you've done, and it's an MBA. You're very technically focused on the finance class and the accounting class, and you're cognitive, you're in the middle of d- new discoveries and new ways of thinking. But in your role as a leader, the technical and the cognitive probably aren't as relevant. The emotional intelligence is really where leadership comes from. And no right or wrongs again, non judgmental. You might want to be the best programmer in the world, you might want to be the best. Street cop in the world. And we need you. We want you. We're going to love you and respect you just like anyone else in the organization. But if you've decided there's something else in life that I'd like to do, we're going to give you that same respect, love, and admiration. I know you've recently made a huge change in your career. You're aligning your new role and responsibility with this pillar. So you're right in the middle of all this. What, what you, where is your mind on your TC and E now, versus a year ago, versus a year from now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying, you know, your example of, you know, maybe you're a programmer and and that that is very technical, and it in in some ways, even the technical tasks. That's not to say that you're not using you know your brain or your emotions, but I don't think. That the people that are coming up with like the theories that, you know, guide computer science are necessarily at their computers writing code. They're, they're outside, they're researching, they're, you know, talking to people. And, and then that moves the field forward. So even if you are very obsessed with like the technical, you have to either work with the cognitive or, you know, become that cognitive person to kind of move the field forward if you want to do that. I was just thinking the other day that we were talking about a technical proposal for the government and it was all about these web applications and and problems that people are having with them. And I was just noticing that, okay, we're not talking about the functioning of the website. We're not talking about how fast it is or, you know, does this button work when I click it? It's all, you know, I don't feel like it's having a value or I don't feel like it's making a connection with the person I need it to or what have you. They were all very human problems that were being associated with these technical tools. And and I was thinking to myself, like, okay, like, you know, that's not necessarily the approach I would have taken in the past. So just having that, you know, that human element in mind, it, it's really important, like even if you're in the technical domain. So that's kind of how I've shifted recently.
0: Yeah, and when I think about this pillar, I ask myself, and this, a lot of what you and I teach and talk about goes back to opportunity cost. And when I think about this pillar, it's all about what am I doing versus what I could or should be doing. And as the chairman of our growing organization as the chief learning officer, as a coach educator, as a coach, as a father and a husband and a grandfather, you know, what am I doing versus what I could or should be doing and aligning that with my principles and aligning that with my work, family and self and with my vision. And if there's misalignment, Mm -hmm. something has to change, you know, we talked about principles in, in different phases of life. You might have very different principles. It doesn't mean your old ones. You abandoned them. It just means that you've discovered new things or you're in a different place than you were five or ten years ago. And the same is true of TC&E. You might, for a decade, be 100% in, under the technical and cranking away and discover that. You're out of alignment with your vision. As a coach, I ask this question all the time. You tell me, you've just described for me this 30 year vision. We've talked in some detail about where you need to be five years from now. And we've talked in even greater detail about what you need to accomplish in the next 12 months. But then every time we get together, you're buried in the comfort of your technical abilities. And I see the misalignment. Do you see that misalignment? So as a coach and a coach educator, this pillar is very important and something we want to be quite purposeful about. Are we doing the things we need to do to get where we say we want to go? Yeah,
1: I think like um, kind of technical question that we have a lot of the times is like, what does this have to do with this? Like, what could this possibly have to do with? And then the cognitive is like, no, there's connections here. You know, you're just buried your head in this too deep. And
0: (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's one of the things as a coach that we do, we connect those disparate thoughts. You said one thing in this sentence and you said something else in another sentence. When I put those two things together, it paints a very clear picture did you see that? Uh, and that oftentimes happens in this pillar. Uh, next pillar, work family self. One that's the most talked about, but probably the one that people are struggling with uh, most consciously and, and uh, purposefully. What Most of us are not born into wealth. We have to work very hard for most of our lives. When we think about comfort zones, it can be very comforting to just bury our head in our work and ignore this ugly, confusing family and self stuff. But the three are so intertwined, especially as you get deeper and deeper into the 21st century, as to be inseparable. They have to be talked about together and they have to be balanced appropriately uh, and I don't mean a third, a third, and a third, or any specific ratio for any specific purpose, but they be- we have to be purposeful about them. What does work mean to us, and how is it woven into our principles? What does work mean to us, and how is it woven into our T, C, and E? And family and self the same questions. What does family mean to us, and how do we weave it into the other three pillars? what is self? How important is self to us? And, and how are we communicating and demonstrating all three of those? I'm in business and I just told a very important customer, I can't be there on the 24th of January because I have a commitment with my family. I wish I could be there. I plan my calendar out a year, a year and a half in advance, sometimes even two years in advance. And I simply can't do that. And as hard as I was to say out loud to this important customer, again, go back to courage. Did I have the courage to say that? Did I have the courage to demonstrate that? So it's one thing to communicate. Family's important to me. I'm important to myself. But then what am I doing to demonstrate that? Some of the biggest changes I've made in the past 12 months were about self, taking better care of self. So I could be Better at work, better with family. I'll pass over to you. I know you're a father of a young child and married, got a vision for your life.
1: I think um, I I like what you said about like that that comfort of of work, and I think a lot of that comes from you know having a structure. You know whether you have a awesome culture or just a ho hum culture, like you know what's going to get you a good reputation at work, you know, what's going to get you, you know, recognition, you know, you know what, Oh, if I don't show up on time, people are going to be upset with me, you know, but lots of times, I guess, because it's less existential in a way, like it doesn't put food on the table, but lots of times your people are more willing to say like, you know, I can skip this thing for myself, or I can skip this thing that's for the family. And I would say that, for me, it's been really helpful to try to put some structure around those things. So if I need to say, oh, this needs to happen once a day for it to, you know, that's my requirement. And if it's not, you know, if it's not happening, then then it's in the back of my head. I used to have it for running. That's where I kind of developed that where, if I went a day or two, I would just be stressed and anxious and be thinking about how I like let myself down and and but just trying to apply that to my other pursuits, whether it's like family time or other skills. Um, and I was telling my artist friend that I didn't realize how much I was like half effort putting in half effort towards my art until. I hit my head against the wall with guitar and I, now I'm like, okay, like, you know, I don't need to spend hours on this, but just like 10 minutes a day and, and I'll see those prog- that progress. So, And I guess another question would be like, what is your reputation at work or with your own personal projects? Like, do you, does your family always say, oh, you're late to everything or, you know, you always skip everything? <laughs> and would you get fired if, you know, if you had a boss at home? Yeah, and this is the
0: one that I struggle with the most, and I suspect a lot of us do. And I have to give myself grace and hope that others give me grace on both sides of the coin because, and I learned this from Warren Buffett, not personally, but through his writings and and speeches, he delegates to the point of abdication. And so my idea of an ideal team member is... Someone that I can delegate to, give a vision. So here's what I, the outcome that I'd like to achieve, and then let them go do it. And that can be very frustrating to people and very uh, unexpected. But it's the way they grow and it's the way that I keep my work family self balanced. On the other side of the coin, I'm an admitted workaholic. And there's a case study in our training, in our education programs of me getting up at one o'clock in the morning to, to work because I couldn't sleep. And that was 15 years ago, but it just happened last week. I was laying in bed. I had this magnificent life and magnificent family and career, but I can't go to sleep for some unknown reason. And the only thing that alleviates the restlessness is to get up and go work. And suddenly I'm calm, I'm doing something, and in a couple of hours I'm tired and I go to bed. So communicate and demonstrate. Probably one of the least favorite things that I hear are stories about myself and this ceaseless work ethic that I have. And I'm like, damn. I keep hoping I'm going to change that perception, but it's still there. Something I'm still, and probably will struggle with for my entire life. I could say without apology that when I'm lying on my deathbed, I'm going to be that guy that says, I wish I could have done a little bit more unapologetically, because I think we have built a strong family in spite of all of that. And four children that are relatively balanced in their work, family self is comforting, that it wasn't genetic and I didn't pass on those extremist habits. So the final pillar is vision. And of all the written work on leadership, there are tens of thousands of written pieces on leadership. Almost every one of them talks about vision in some sense or another. And in many ways, it's that line, that differentiator between a manager and a leader. Can you envision a future and then take action to make that vision reality? Managers, not to judge good, better, or worse, managers think quarterly, monthly, daily about things, where leaders think years and decades about people and ideas. So I manage boxes, but I lead people. And if I'm going to be a leader of people, I need to tell them where we're going. And that's what vision is all about in decades into the future. So we're quite purposeful, as challenging as it is, to ask people to think 30 years into the future. I'm giving a a talk at a university in a few weeks, and I'm going to talk about this exact thing to a room full of college students. But my 90-year-old father is going to be in the room and talking about 30 years into the future. And for him, the math is the math, right? A 90-year-old plus 30 is 120. No human's ever lived to be that long, I don't think. Maybe gotten close. Even for me, 90-something, 30 years from now, is more legacy than it is reality. Even my 90-year-old father, thinking 30 years into the future, what his family's going to look like, there are including himself, 78 human beings on the face of the earth with his genes that are going to be here long after he's gone and long after I'm gone. So it's very real to think, where are you in 30 years? And then to take action today, in the coming year, in the coming five years, is where you really can get your arms around. What does it mean that 30 years from today, I'm going to be surrounded by people who love me. I want to be financially secure. And I want to be as reasonably healthy as someone can expect to be at 90 something years old. What am I doing today? You and I went to the gym this morning. What am I doing this year? We'll continue to do that. I'll continue to run and ride my bicycle and eat well, and drink less and not take recreational drugs. I mean, you know, not to be too flippant, but Those are all decisions that we each get to make and the consequences of our decisions accumulate and aggregate over those 30 years. And so you can be quite purposeful about, no, I'm not going to eat that donut or yes, I am going to roll out when the alarm goes off and go to the gym. I am going to go to sleep and get a reasonable amount of sleep. When I look at my calendar every day at 615, it says go home because I promised myself and my family, I'm going to be there for dinner. My weekends are largely sacrosanct. I can say after 21 years in business to this very day, I've never canceled or changed a vacation ever. Did that cause a lot of heartache? Yeah, it did. But it's one of my most proud achievements to be able to say that and to hopefully demonstrate that and celebrate that at work celebrate that with family what are your thoughts on vision how it fits into your life
1: i mean i've been thinking about this a lot a lot lately just um in terms of um like what is real and what is like you know kind of in our imaginations or you know in in this kind of domain of vision even like things like you know, science has proven that your memory and perception can be, you know, heavily influenced and your vision of the future, no matter how many details you're taking into account, is going to be, you know, pretty far off in, in some ways in the, you know, in the details, maybe not the direction you're moving in, but in the particular details. And so I've been thinking about how, you know, you're Vision of the future and the past is almost like it can be influenced by your ability to imagine and create these images. So, how does that relate to creativity and and ideas and belief and and so it's it's all very philosophical. But that's to say that you know I think whether you're you know planning your future or Trying to invent something or come up with an idea, you need to be able to kind of from whole cloth, you know, create a, something that's not directly in front of you in reality. So it's something really, really, really powerful and, and something that I think it kind of gets, it's flippantly like, oh, you know, that's just, that's make believe. But make believe is what we're talking about here. You know, to plan for the future is somewhat make believe. Yeah, and you've reminded
0: me of one of my favorite topics and as we get ready to close. And that's the difference between a goal, an objective, and a key result. And I know it sounds very academic, but goals are those things in your life that are not going to change no matter what happens. So, not, again, not to be too macabre, but let's say you're not here 30 years from today or you're not able to work or something absolutely unplanned occurred in your life your goals would remain in place. And so are you talking about, and this goes back to principles, are you talking about existential things? And I really learned this from Brian Elwood, um, Nail Your Niche. And actually his new book was on my desk when I got back. He must've sent it to me. When people are describing the future, they're describing one of three things, love, health, and finances. And so goals are love, health, and finances. I want to be surrounded by people who love me. And if I'm not here, I want them to be together, loving each other. Health, what am I doing to increase the likelihood that I'll be healthy at 90-something years old, that I'll still be alive? And finances, absolutely don't want to live paycheck to paycheck at 90 something years old and I don't want anybody I know and love to live paycheck to paycheck. And so those are existential they you couldn't possibly change my mind about those three things. And those are big G goals. Often confused with objectives. Objectives are the intermediate milestones that get me to my goals. So the goal of Working out three days a week with you for the next 12 months is a goal or is an objective for the next year. The objective of rebranding 2RL into the Flatter Leadership Academy, which you and I are just beginning, that's an objective. Working for the next eight years is an objective. That might change, it might be five years, it might be 12 years. Um, I might unsuccessfully retire a third time. Who knows? Those are all objectives. Getting an MBA was an objective. It wasn't a goal. Your life goal was to live a a fulfilled life, probably similar very similar to, to everyone else, love, health, and finances. The key results are the metrics that you know you're getting closer. So we talked about being in the gym, putting a two and a half pound on, that's a key result. You're now five pounds stronger than you were a month ago in that particular exercise. And probably most exercises, you're some degree stronger than you were. And we talk about not being stronger for strength's sake, but practically stronger to do some of the things you want to do with your life. Practicing your guitar, practicing your art. You have milestones, right? You just did these beautiful books for your nieces and nephews that's a key result of your artistry your objective was to write them and the key result is they're there in front of you and you're delivering them as christmas gifts so we have to be very thoughtful and purposeful about what is existential and we can label as a goal and what are objectives and then what are the metrics the key results to ensure that we're getting there so those are the four pillars. And as we, la- as we practically look forward into the new year, what are the finite deliverables that we owe ourselves? We owe ourselves a very close look at those pillars and to revisit our principles, to revisit our TC&E, to revisit our work family self, revisit our vision, look back at the year most recent, and hopefully you have a journal that you can have some clarity on what happened in that year. If you don't, start right now and write and about today, listening to this podcast. And what does next year in front of you look like? And write that in your journal. What are your principles? What is your TC&E? What is your work from self? What is your vision for the coming year and the coming decade and the coming 30 years? And then go have the courage to communicate and demonstrate that.
1: Yeah, I mean, just yeah reflect on the last year like we said at the top and and use that to kind of inform any changes that you might need to make and hopefully those principles are remaining pretty constant but who knows you know things yeah (laughs) things could change those too so i think yeah it's a it's a perfect time to jump into these topics
0: all right my friend have a great day well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.